Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And I'll be reading today from the Revised Standard Version. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angel to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. In Leviticus 25, it tells us this. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. With me you are but aliens and tenants. Throughout the land you hold, you shall provide for the redemption of the land. This text is couched in a part of Leviticus that covers what's called the year of Jubilee. Now, Jubilee is a law put into Leviticus as a safeguard put in place to make sure that the people of God did not exploit the poor, did not exploit the resources that were provided by God. Basically, it worked like this. People could lease land back and forth and incur debt and carry on and do their thing, but on the 50th year, All the land was returned to the ancestral owners and all the debts were cleared and everyone started over kind of on a level playing field. Everyone starts from scratch. Wouldn't that be great? You're a jubilee. Just let it, you know, everything everything goes back to square one. And as I said, this law is meant to keep the ownership of the land equally distributed and to help keep the exploitation of the poor from happening. And as, you know, as I was reading this today, as we've been, we've been talking about caring for creation. Last week we talked about how caring for creation connects us to God. And this week I want to talk about the connection that our care for creation has between one another how important that connection is. That as we care for creation, it is also a way of caring for each other. And as I was looking at the year of Jubilee, I was thinking, you know, it's kind of like, that, that really envisions a world that works like Monopoly does, right? I've been playing Monopoly on the computer a lot lately. And I've, what's neat about Monopoly is everyone starts off with 1500 bucks 
and nothing else, right? And you go around and you purchase stuff and eventually whoever has boardwalk wins, right? <laughs> Ultimately, or, or whoever has the best way of finagling you know, you to trade, do some kind of uneven trade thing. But everyone starts at $1,500. And it's kind of interesting. That, but Monopoly is not anything. I mean, that's, that's kind of what the year of Jubilee in, imagines. You know, if you lose at Monopoly, you can start over and try, and try again. You get another $1,500 and everyone else goes back to square one and you start all over and maybe you'll win that time. You know, keep going and, uh, and maybe you'll win. But that's, that's not like real life at all. That doesn't resemble real life at all. Now, if one person got $1,500 and another person got $500 and another person got $50,000 and boardwalk and park place, that would be more like real life, right? Then let's say, in fact, we ought to try that sometime. Then see who wins every time, (laughs) right? We ought to try that and see how that works out. The Jewish people of old kind of thought this jubilee idea was a little unrealistic as well. And to be honest with you, even though this is written down in the book of Moses, the the Pentateuch, the first five books, the law of Moses, even though this year of jubilee and the Sabbath year that is also covered in that every seven years, the land laying fallow and things like that, even though those things were written down in the books as law, there is absolutely no evidence that the year of Jubilee was ever observed. It never happened. Even though it was written in the law, even though it was written in the Hebrew Bible, it never happened. The people of God said, you know what? Eh, not so much. I don't think I'm going to do that. And what ultimately leads, what, it, what this situation ultimately leads to is what we have here in the Gospel of Luke. You have a rich man and you have a guy named Lazarus. And I got to tell you, you know, whenever Jesus is telling a story, things are always turned around, right? Having a name in the, in the, in the culture of first century Palestine there, having a name in Jewish culture, that was, just, that was significant, and so what, you know, Jesus is telling us something by saying, here's a rich man who nobody knows and a man named Lazarus. We know his name. That's significant. That's because the kingdom of God is different than the world we live in. Amen? Amen? Balcony? Balcony? I can't hear it. Oh, thank you. Jeez. <laughs> I told him this morning I wanted to hear some amens from the balcony. Got to wake him up again. So uh, the kingdom of God is very different. And you got to, and this rich man, how did this rich man get rich? This rich man was rich because when the Romans came to occupy, and they were, they came on the heels of the Greeks who had come to occupy, on the heels of the Babylonians who had come to occupy, on the heels of the Assyrians who had come to occupy, all these groups, when they came to occupy, the land of Israel with the land of Jerusalem, they imposed tariffs on the land and that forced many who had owned those ancestral lands, who had owned those family farms, who were part of the tribe of Ben and owned Ben or part of the tribe of this or part of the tribe of that. And they, they were forced because of these tariffs and because of the heavy taxes laid on by the occupiers, they were forced to sell their property, to sell their ancestral lands. 
And without the year of Jubilee, they never got those lands back. And those who had the means or had the backing of Rome, they were there ready to snatch up that land. The rich got in there and bought that land because they could afford it. And uh, in addition to Rome's financial imposition, the temple demanded a tax from every Hebrew citizen. Everyone who was a Hebrew, was, was they, they, they embraced that law, I noticed. They overlooked the Jubilee law, but they embraced the law that says you will pay your temple tax. And they imposed this temple tax, which forced the poor, many of which, sometimes it forced the poor even, to give up their last mite. Do you remember that story? Well, she was, not, she was required to give that temple tax not just uh, out of her faith. So how did the poor man become poor? Well, the land that once sustained him, the land that once sustained his family, was now used to produce products for trade to the far reaches of the Roman Empire. And the lucky ones sold themselves into indentured servanthood and worked the land that they had given up. The rest, without work like that, moved to the cities and eked out a living working there or begging on the streets as our friend Lazarus did. This is a story about greed. It is a story about privilege. It's a story about a sense of ownership and entitlement. And it is a story about exploitation and the cost of that exploitation. And as we explore this caring for creation this month, this story has relevance because the exploitation of the environment is also about greed. And the repercussions of our exploitation is felt most among the poorest in our world. I'm reminded of the text in Matthew that says, Whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. And it's because of this reality that social justice and the environment and justice in the environment, they go hand in hand. We cannot exploit the world we live in. We cannot use up the resources in the world we live in without it affecting the poorest and the least among us first and most harshly. One cannot talk about caring for creation without realizing the impact not caring about the environment has on those people. Our our rich man in this story today reaps a harvest that comes from neglecting that spirit of jubilee that's in Leviticus. He was rich in material wealth, but poor in humanity. And so today, I I wonder out loud the question of this. How can we embody this idea of Jubilee as followers of Christ, as the people of God, as the church? How can we embrace this idea of Jubilee, this idea that, that it all belongs to God and it's all there for everybody? And abundance is not abundance unless it's experienced by all how can we hold on to the sense that our connection to how we treat creation is also our connection to one another my first suggestion or my first observation is embrace this notion as our scripture tells us today 
or as Leviticus tells us, that we are aliens in this land. I'm reminded in Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Get rid of the idea that we own things. This is a hard one because, you know, we love our stuff, right? <laughs> we love our comfort. We, we have our, our ownership. It's a very American thing. In fact, part of the crisis we're experiencing now is because the way you became a real prosperous, a real middle class citizen in this country is by what? Owning a house. Right? And so everyone had to own a house no matter how much it ultimately costs. And now there's a lot of people not owning houses, right? <laughs> Looking for housing. This sense of ownership becomes very important in our culture, in our society. And I guess I want to encourage us to get rid of that sense of ownership a little bit. And that's, that's a whole other paradigm. But to recognize that, that what we have is really here as part of God's kingdom. And it's not just ours to hold. It's ours to have stewardship over. And, to, and this idea of, of telling yourself that everything belongs to God is really a good starting place for us to start thinking about stewardship over the things that are entrusted to us as people of God. Here's another suggestion that I, I feel comes out of Scripture is to know the true costs of things. Who picks our tomatoes? Now, if you go up to the table upstairs, you see that a lot of us have picked tomatoes, right? Out of our own gardens. Amen to that. But who picks those ones that we strip mine out of Texas that we get in the middle of the winter, right? What's the cost of those? Who picks those tomatoes? Who, uh, who manufactures our shoes? What's the impact of the cheap goods that we buy every day? Is my comfort costing someone else their ability to live a full and abundant life as promised to us through Christ? Are people killing other people to bring us diamonds? Do the chemicals being used to bring us flowers kill the indigenous people harvesting them? We ought to know. the. It's so easy in the world today to get disconnected from where things come from. Everything we buy, though, has a journey to your hands. And it's easy not to care who or what was affected by that journey. But if we are truly to be stewards of that which God has entrusted to us, then we cannot allow ourselves to be shielded from the true costs of our lifestyle. Amen? Know the costs of things. And I, finally, I want to say make jubilee choices. Make jubilee choices. You know, it's one thing to know, and I, you know, I hope you, I hope, I, I want to confess to you right now that this sermon's coming to me too, all right? <laughs> that this sermon is one that I'm struggling with in my own life of living lifestyles that embrace the idea of jubilee. But making jubilee choices, you know, it's one thing to know all these things, but it's one, it's another thing to choose to live differently out of our faith in the hope that other people will be able to live as well and have abundance as well and to be honest in this country in order to bring around change it must hurt someone else's bottom line it must hurt the bottom line if 
If a manufacturer is going to change their practices, they've got to feel it from the consumer. That's the way our system works, doesn't it? Um, you know who, here's an interesting little thing. You know who is one of the leaders in sustainable meat cattle farming? You know who's one of the leaders? Do you know who is leading the way in humane cattle raising and processing practices? You would never guess it. You know who it is? McDonald's. McDonald's has, has raised their standards of ethics on the way they get their meat. They only buy from U.S. Uh, distributors who follow the laws, plus they have even stricter regulations to follow in order to, and they, they also, I should, in, in honesty, they should, they also get some from New Zealand and Australia, but New Zealand and Australia are subject to these standards that they've set up. Uh, they have these humane slaughterhouses. They insist on humane treatment of the cattle in the slaughterhouses. Why do they do this? Why do they do this? Is because people bugged them. <laughs> people bugged them and refused to buy their food. And they got all this bad press about how awful their meat was and how awful their practices was and how unethical they were. And it started affecting their money. <laughs> and so they cha- I mean, I'm sure I'm sure they have all the humanitarian rhetoric that goes along with it, but quite frankly, they changed because it affected how much money they made. So we as citizens of this great country are empowered to vote with our pocketbooks and to encourage our values, values of jubilee, amen, by how we spend our money. And I got to tell you, it's difficult. You know, I pay more for my coffee than I, than I would normally. I pay more for my coffee than my parents do. And that's because I know that the grower on the other end is given a fair share of the pie. And I know that it's grown sustainably so that the farmer can make a life out of farming. And, quite frankly, it tastes better. <laughs> but in America... If you want to change things, it begins with how we shop. And so I encourage you, I encourage all of us to do, these, to do the difficult homework and make jubilee choices in how we spend our money. And refuse, and I know it's hard, you know what, this is hard. I'm a, I'll tell you what, I am, I am true red, white, and blue consumer, man. I'm a patriot. When when they say, you know, support the war effort by buying more stuff, I'm the, I want to be the first one in line. That's my instinct, right? I want to get in there. But that's not jubilee thinking. That might be good for Wall Street, but that's not jubilee thinking. Jubilee thinking says we can all have enough. And enough is an abundance. Amen? Enough is an abundance. And how can we live so that others can live? And help us, God, if our own comfort, if our own um, ease, if our own convenience costs someone else their ability to live. And I promise you, if we start looking at it, if we start looking into it, the more comfortable we are, the more uncomfortable someone else in this world is. 
I promise you that there's a relationship there between how we choose to live, how we choose to have 500 choices in toothpaste. It's going to cost somebody else their ability just to survive. And I guarantee you, just like this rich man, like Shirley was talking today, we're going to have to talk to Jesus (laughs) someday. (laughs) And we're going to have that conversation. And Jesus is going to go, really? Was it really worth it? 50 kinds of toothpaste? That important? That it cost your brother here his whole life? Your sister here? Her ability to live a full and abundant life? I pray that we don't wait until that day but we begin to make those jubilee choices today. Jubilee is a concept that has yet to be realized. Jubilee is, a, is an event that has yet to happen, and yet here we are given it as a goal, as a law from God in the hopes of preserving this creation. Not only preserving it, but making it available to all people and the abundance of it available to all people. Jesus stood in a synagogue and declared, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Our consciousness about the environment and its connection to people is one way we make the vision Christ gave us of this world of equity become reality. Let us pray. Loving God, as we think about how through creation You have provided all that we need to all live. Not just live, but to live fully and abundantly. We pray, God, for the courage and the conviction from our faith, God, from a place of faith, God, that our own comfort would never cost, that our own abundance would never cost someone else their ability to live. Help us, God, to be true to this calling. We ask all this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.